You'll know real when you get it. It will say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like a gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things that you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts. Real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. If you wanna be my lover, you have Hello, hello, it's Brooke DeVard, and you're listening to the Naked Beauty Podcast. So excited about this episode with Lottie. She is so cool. She's so inspiring. She's a really amazing artist from London, and the way that she's thinking about her position in the art world as a woman of color, and the way that she's thinking about what it means to be an artist is so interesting and the way it relates to beauty and her personal history. I just love talking to her. She's super smart. I know you guys are going to love her too. I'm going to read you guys a little bit of Lottie's bio. Lottie Anderson is an artist living and working in London. Her work has been shown internationally. Her most recent work, How Do You Feel About Lying, was shown at Tate Modern Summer of 2018, working in video, print, soft sculpture, sound and performance, pleasure seekers, and human behavior are invited into her work. She is interested in reimagining club spaces using Maxilla as the primary research. Here, she developed an aesthetic, constructing parties while making prints and publications, critiquing online culture and social behaviors. Lottie's work has been featured in British Vogue, ID, Nowness, Dazed, Refinery29, The Guardian. She's held talks at the VNA, Tate Modern. She's accomplished, she's done some stuff. So yeah, I'm just excited for you guys to get to know her better. I hope everything is good with all of you. We're deep into fall now. I've just been busy working. I'm giving a speech, actually. I've been asked to give a speech about this podcast. And I feel like I'm comfortable speaking to people in this very safe space I've created. Giving a speech feels like an entirely separate thing. So I'm going to have to prepare a lot for that. But yeah, everything's been really good. Oh, and I've been making this oil mixture that I'm really excited about. And I just want to tell you about really quickly before we get into the episode. It's a very simple mix. It is grapeseed oil, which is actually on the less expensive end of oils, and it's really good for sensitive skin. It will not break you out. So it's grapeseed oil, marula oil, which I love. If you haven't gotten some marula oil yet, buy some. Don't buy it from a brand. You can get really good quality marula oil on Amazon. I will link to the marula oil that I bought. It's just one of those oils that you put on your skin, and it feels like velvet after. It's amazing. So I do marula oil, grapeseed oil, avocado oil, which is super, super moisturizing. I mix three of those oils together and then I just add whatever essential oils I'm feeling at the moment. So I've actually, first I mix all of the those three oils together. And then in little smaller bottles, I add different essential oils depending on my vibe. So I have my more energizing mix, which right now I'm using tangerine and lemongrass, and it's an amazing combination. And then I have my like nighttime wind down mix, which is frankincense and lavender oil. I use this oil for everything. I've been using the nighttime one to take off my um, eye makeup at night, just like on cotton pads. When I travel, I use it. Because when you're traveling and you're just stuck with the hotel lotions, it's really not a great feeling. And if you just add a little bit of oil to a body lotion that's otherwise very lackluster, it really does the job. Um, I have this with me pretty much everywhere I go. And this oil has been my all over body oil. I use it to take down my twists for my hair. I'll add a little bit to the ends of my hair if my hair is feeling dry. And I just have it in a super simple like pump bottle. I love this oil. It goes with me everywhere. 
I highly, highly suggest you make your own oil mix this winter. And it also just feels so good to get out of the shower and just lather yourself with an amazing smelling, deeply moisturizing body oil. Before the next episode, try to make your own body oil. Tell me how it goes. You can reach me on Naked Beauty Planet. That's where I talk to you guys pretty much every day. Some of you reach out on Brooke DeVard. I don't really care where you talk to me, but I'm on both. I'm on both. So at Naked Beauty Planet, that's where the whole community is. I love, love, love hearing from you guys. Thank you so much for all of your support. Thank you guys for rating and reviewing the show, for sharing with me when you're listening with your screenshots. Let's get into the episode with Lottie. All right. Thanks, guys. You'll know real when you get it. It will say eBay authenticity guarantee and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like a gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things that you love are checked by experts, not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. What you think about that? Now you know how I how do you describe and introduce yourself? I would say foremost, I am an artist. Okay. It's the most useful term to use as it allows me to work in every medium. Yeah. I also have an interesting approach when it comes to work because I made my own work primarily to start with. Mm-hmm. I was throwing parties that were full of print work. Yeah. Naturally, I was doing making artwork and doing art direction in a strange way, by way of casting, by way of location scouting, by mm-hmm. way of... Mm-hmm. You and by do, casting, do you mean like who you would even invite to the party? Exactly. All your communication then becomes very, very specific, just mm-hmm. like you do when you're rolling out a campaign, which mm-hmm. subsequently happened. <laughs> yes. So it's yes. a very odd thing when there's a very big narrative to do with nightlife. Yes. It's attached to your name when really, you know, there's other things in there like that you learn how to do. I would say I learned everything in nightclubs. But yeah, I make art. What brings you to New York? (laughs) So I did a show in June, a really wonderful group show. So I'd been making video work for the past two years. And I'd had an accident, actually, towards the end of last year, which meant I had concussion, which completely changed how I make my work. So how did that happen? So I I was on holiday, and I dove into shallow water, and then I, I jumped into a door frame. This, the long-form way of how that figured itself out is that I had to learn how to readjust my practice around this accident. Mm. So I wasn't using computers. I just had, like, assistants. And how to kind of, like, refocus my work. The thing that brought me back to New York was, like, a complete curiosity with this, like, huge ecosystem. I felt like the art landscape in London is very different. Mm-hmm. It's not so sexy. It's not so fun. <laughs> yeah. The thing that I noticed that I noticed immediately was this huge wealth of, like, young people and avid art fans. You know, mm. I've come back to New York this time. It's mad. People coming up to me and going, oh, you were in that show. You made that, re- you made that fo- like, 20 by 10 foot artwork. And I'm like, hang on, this doesn't happen in London. And there's something really special that I think you guys have to protect here that's really important. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to see how much New York is changing at the moment. London's clearly changed a lot, and you grew up in West London. Yes. It's a big part of your identity, I would say. Would yes. you agree? I would say it was interesting yesterday. Somebody described me as emblematic of the city. Oh, wow. Well, there was... To, That's with, pressure. To talk about the club night I threw, I grew up in West London. Yes. But I moved very quickly out of there because it's a really... There's an incredibly amazing, almost archaic 
There's like dynasties of creative families there. Right, right. I think it's really important as a young creative person to kind of distance yourself a little bit and find your identity. Mm. Otherwise, and to be honest, I, I wonder if I ever managed it. But it, yeah. Well, your dad was a DJ, right? Yeah, he, my dad was in bands and he played music. He used to play at my night always. He's very funny and very competitive with the younger people. <laughs> but no, I mean, it's really, I feel really grateful, you know, like there's no accent I do what I do. I mm-hmm. come from a, a long line of people making culture, considering how we live mm-hmm. and responding either sonically or aesthetically to that. And so this party you threw, Maxilla. Yes. How many years did you do it for? So I did it intermittently for a friend of mine called Tyrone LeBon, who's now a very successful photographer. And he, I texted him once and I said, you know what, thank you, you changed my life. We had a birthday party. I turned 21 and he turned, we won't say. And we had a great time. And then two months later, a bunch of friends wanted to have a party. So I kind of pulled it together. Because I'd grown up with this dad mm-hmm, who was mm-hmm. like permanently having these impromptu great things. Yes. I thought, hey, this is easy. Everyone put a bit of money in the pot and do it. The thing that I didn't quite realize was they were going to, they did, people loved, they really loved them. The mm-hmm. area most of the creative people, like young, cool people, move east. It's not much in West. Right, so there's this right. strange thing where you've got this glut of kids who are dynamically creative, mm-hmm. but kind of a little bit shy. And I, it was almost like doing a public service. Mm. And the posters and the prints and the communication really came, and I think this is my personality, from wanting, I'm interested in like very idiosyncratic things. Mm, mm. I want you to move into that space and you know it's mine. You yes. know it's ours. Yes. Or, you know, like, yes. and that that certainly sounds like in the end, I realized in the end it was like, I'm definitely making art here. Yes, <laughs> yes, I'm like, yes. Nobody make any But at the time you didn't realize it. Yeah, but not, I didn't want to be as a woman, I or not as a woman, as my character, I didn't, I didn't want to be the focus, mm. but I wanted the aesthetic to be the focus. Got it. So I think it was a way of doing that. So you not wanting to be the focus of the work, I wonder how, and I think this is something that a lot of young people, especially young women deal with, is not being able to congratulate themselves and feeling like maybe they have to be too humble. You have a show on at the Tate Modern. It's not on anymore, but... but it, okay, but <laughs> there it was. you go. Exactly. <laughs> Already just cuts it down. Right, but it's, I mean, that's one of the most prestigious museums in the entire world. And I think that oftentimes young women will be quick to say, oh, well, you know, it was just a small little thing. It seems like much bigger from the outside. Do you take that moment to say, wow, my work is now being seen. It's part of history now. It's part of legacy. Do you take that moment to really take it in? Something quite special happened when I did that thing that Tate. I installed it, made it. I did a thing for the first time where I didn't just make, I made an an entirely new body of work, right? But I revisited materials and processes of work that I have actually honed and worked on. And I thought, Mm. hey, I'm not, and then I put it in. And because I work, when you work in video particularly, so to describe that work, it was called How Do You Feel About Lying? It was a five channel video installation, had two video formats, it had all new print work, a sound piece that I made, which was 30 minutes long, which was a combination of sounds between me and this amazing artist called Shy Girl. It had archive performance work from a performance I did called Karaoke Party. I, it was, it was big and it was emotional and it was in my hometown. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. I burst into tears. We got it all mm. in and I cried. I, I went behind the back and cried, <laughs> but I just thought, you know what, darling, like, this is really great. And it was the first time in the present that I felt really proud of myself. And like a little, and I felt proud of little me. I thought like little Lottie went to the Tate and now like grown up Lottie's here doing something that you'd never believe in. And it's it's like, and it's a really hard line because it's hard to go between like sounding like, like you're an ego and then actually just being like no this is amazing, amazing. And, yes yes and yes. how many and, and how much more like you know just like we were talking about how much how many more girls now am I going to see that yes. now think they can do that because they've seen you in that space there yes. were girls coming up to me going do you know what I like they didn't even know they were they were just in the tape on Friday night they're like I follow you on Instagram and I was like you can be here too 
I was like pulling out these, I was like, guys, there's more prints in the back. Come on. Like this is, this is a yeah. win for all. Yes. Yeah. Well, cheers to you. I, I really do want to <laughs> congratulate you on that because I'm, ha- I'm happy not only that it happened, but that you're able to recognize it and be happy about it because that's something that I hope you hold on to throughout your, you know, every time one of these big moments happens. Totally. I think it's also important to be like holistic and realistic. I kind of know myself now. I know that I'll be manic the week up to it. I'll do mm-hmm. it. My sister's the one who actually sat me down and was like, this happens every time. <laughs> You're coming up to it and it's like, gun, you know, the guns are out for you and everything's so awful. But you, you'll, you'll do it. You'll show up. Yes. And that's great. There is a performance element to doing shows like that. And there's, you know, there's like the come down. Mm-hmm. So I have a very stringent routine where the next day after a show, I'll archive everything. Mm. Because I know that three, two to three days later, I hate it. Really? <laughs> it's... I make, also I make deeply personal work. Yes. So I make in a, when I physically do it, I'll make it unconsciously. And then after I'll look back and I'll think, wow, you know, like the bit in Harlem, bit of work in Harlem. That's like a, there was a 10, 20, you know, not whatever, big, big thing hanging up. And that's got my life on it. <laughs> so I say it's kind of like undressing in public. Yes. Yes. It's, it's pretty wild. And how is it to be a woman of color in the art world? <laughs> terrifying <laughs> and I and we should back up more to, to, to your background like how do you identify great question because I feel like you're very racially ambiguous right so people probably look at you and they're like well she's not it's very very white, confusing so I am my father is white he is Anglo-Indian he is white South African mm. both sides of the family left mm. those parts of the world as apartheid was happening mm. or you know the vice it's like really heavy mm. they moved to the UK as white people and I am interested because there's social mobility in their color my mother's side they moved again it's very post-colonial you know my grandfather from Dominica so it's not Dominican Republic I noticed there's lots of Dominican Republic I'm from Dominica <laughs> They moved over and from not having the grace of the color of their skin, didn't have social mobility. Now, I, so it's, it's this thing where I'm coming at this from both sides of the coin. Mm. And I'm very, very aware of every privilege I've ever been given. And then also, you know, like you said about the, the ambiguity of the way I look, mm-hmm. it also weighs on you because it's very strange, you know? Sometimes, you know, you feel like too black for this and then too white for that and then too ambiguous for the other. Mm-hmm. The thing that I find my identity in more and more is my work. Mm-hmm. I, I try and explore it, you know, the things that make me tick to think. And they're universal things in the end. Yes, yes. But it's, it's, it's difficult. I also, you know, I, I went to French school. I learned how to, every bit of my life was confusing. <laughs> I learned how to read and write a language I couldn't speak, before, you know, before English. right. <laughs> you're like permanently just going, oh God. And, and when you're that young, you don't really know what's going on. So you just kind of go with it. What did you learn about beauty growing up? I think I was always a tomboy. Okay. A tomboy that was very, very, very into style. Yes. So beauty, I feel, do you know what I was given? So I, I have an interesting story that like, my mother passed away when I was quite little. So I was brought up predominantly by a man. Right, okay. And I was given these incredible books by her friends who were these brilliant women. And one being this brilliant Bobby Brown teenage beauty book. <gasps> I think I know the book. <laughs> Isn't it iconic? Yes. And I would sit as a little girl and I would just look at these girls, these before and afters. Yeah. And it really talk, spoke a lot about confidence. Mm-hmm. Didn't speak so much about covering things up. Mm-hmm. I always feel like with beauty, you know... One has to be really careful with the language that you pick. Absolutely. And I felt really an affinity with that book as a young girl. Mm-hmm. And also just so many different kinds of beauty. Yeah. I think when you're of mixed heritage, you become really aware of, you know, I look quite different to my sister, both of them. And you start to kind of really appreciate the differences. And, you know, I see my sister and I go, God, you're like, you've great boobs you know like oh you've got the most beautiful and it's it's those things difference and did your dad talk to you and your sisters about beauty did he feel like he had the language to (laughs) no no okay so he just kind of was like I'm not gonna even touch that no I mean it must have been very very difficult because he's got you know you got these two little girls also you know my dad is my dad is white 
Yeah. So it's even more confusing. You've got these two little girls. One of them's got an afro. The other <laughs> one's got an attitude. What are you going to do? Yeah. Like, what are you doing? So, no, we, we didn't. But we were very much brought up, again, in the canon of ID magazine, The Face, yes. Lee Bowery, The Blitz Club. My mother was a black neuromantic, you know. So as a teenager, I discovered beauty from very internal perspective. Yes. And it's something that I definitely have struggled with more as an adult than I did as a young girl. I felt very grateful, actually, to be in this very tomboy area. Where you weren't even worrying about it, you weren't conscious of it, you weren't thinking of it. No. Well, let's go all the way back, because I think we're around the same age. I've just turned 29. I'm going to turn in two weeks. Okay, well, happy early birthday. The Spice Girls. Now, Ah! I was obsessed. I mean, they were my life, like... I mean, the Spice Girls were everything to me. And I think about now, as an adult, how the positioning of Scary Spice as the black woman, as this scary one, always an animal print with the big hair, like she was seen as very wild. And I wonder how much of that formed my ideas around black women's identity and desirability. When you're young, it's not conscious, but... You know, Emma was the blonde one. She was baby spice. She was quite cute. Ginger was the sexy one. And then it gets to the only woman who's a woman of color in the group, and she's wild and can't be, you know, contained. And maybe that was Mel B. Maybe that was her truth. And I, and I don't want to say that Black women also don't have the option of being that if that is their truth. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting. Interesting is a, is a euphemism. <laughs> I'm going to be totally outrageously London and say it's offensive. It's really really confusing and it's really great that you bring that up because it's certainly something that I think as a young woman when you start really working you really feel or like in any I don't know I often feel sometimes like I'm kind of set up so I'll explore a lot in my work like things of like hysteria Mm. and 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 hysterical spaces and particularly hysterical spaces for black women whenever I hear anyone saying a damn thing about anyone who looks anything like me I'm like well just consider what it might be to be that person moving through the world how could how could Melby have handled that I think that I didn't think about the Spice Girls and beauty ultimately really close together. I think I thought about them humongously from a perspective of independence. Girl power. And girl power. Yes. Now, I think that the ones, like, aside from the problematic descriptions of scary spices, look, hair, attitude, the whole thing, beyond that, there was also a huge lie in girl powerdom because I feel like a lot of this kind of third wave of feminist behavior has come post Spice Girls. Like when we all hit the workplace, you've suddenly got all these girls flipping out because it's not as equal as they think it is. Yes. Or like, you know, this is just, this is just like sidestepping the whole conversation about race within that band. Yes. You know, I, f- I found myself very fascinated at 21 by people like Lana Del Rey. Because I was like, hang on, are you making like more sense than Beyonce? Because like, I don't know if there is as much space for me to be independent as a black girl. I don't mm. know if there's as much space for me to be. I know that I have to work 50 times as hard. Mm-hmm. I know that I have to like take like these strange kind of like thorns in your back, like Scary did maybe, mm-hmm. to still take that space up. Right. Here's the stuff that comes with it. You right, know? right. And smile through it. And smile through yes. it, you know. So, you know, you're on a shoot and someone's touching your hair and it's very difficult. Right. Or, I mean, if I ever do shoots with my little sister now, she has, uh, she's got like uh, an afro mm-hmm. and I've got more curls. My, our grandfather was Carib. So I have more Carib hair. I'll always put in the request for her because I have that privilege. Yes. I don't, I, a European hairstylist can do my hair. Cannot do hers. Right. And I feel, I feel like as black women, we have to help each other out like that. It Absolutely. shouldn't always have to be like, you know, yeah, scary who's making the fuss. Baby can turn around and go, hang on, that's, she doesn't need to wear leopard print again. That's absolutely true. <laughs> that's absolutely true. That's absolutely true. Yeah. Wow. Okay. The Is that girl. a big statement? <laughs> no, I mean, I think it's an important statement. And I think 
It's interesting to go back in time and unpack all of the images that you were fed as a child, right? And think about how much that forms the basis of your identity and how you think now. I feel hideous. Hey, it's on the, it's on the, on tape. I spend loads of time bigging myself up, but really, you feel hideous now, feel, currently in 2018. No, I just feel similar. I feel very almost amused by trend changing. Mm-hmm. I'm. I was on a panel a week ago and we were discussing culture and feminism and space. And I said, you know, the number one thing that I want to talk about is that black culture is popular mainstream culture now. They are one and the same. And the sooner that we recognize and accept that, the further we can, the quicker we can just move over things, you know? However, it doesn't change that I spent 15 years feeling different, addicted to GHD hair straighteners, which I still quite like sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) On occasion, on occasion. (laughs) You used to study fashion. Yes. You interned at Alexander McQueen. Yes. And then ultimately you decided fashion was not for you. Yes. How did you know fashion wasn't for you? I have uh, an immense respect for the fashion industry. However, I don't think I was cut out for the schedule. I Mm. was always interested in trend. This is a thing, and trend in a really wide sense, like culturally, how, what, peop, what, what drives people, what the market, what supply and demand, like cultural trends. And I just remember thinking, this isn't, this isn't really sustainable for, for me as a character, as much as for the world. However, it creeps in. Mm. It absolutely, you know, I love clothes. I love the material, like the way that they move. Mm-hmm. I love bodies. Mm-hmm. I love representation. Yes. I, I, it's something that really I found fascinating to think about was the culture of shop the look, which I find a little bit difficult because I don't know. I just feel like, you know, I went to fashion school and I was really obsessed with the seditionaries or really obsessed with, I don't know, Malcolm McLaren. I really, 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 I hadn't just gone and bought a slasher shirt or slayer shirt, you know? Yeah, yeah. So fashion, I think, is in an interesting place at the moment. It is. It feels like it's in a bit of an identity crisis. Like I was thinking about how Supreme won a CFDA and how they honored Kim Kardashian this year. And I felt like, are we at that point? Has fashion lost? Okay, there's a snobbiness to fashion that I appreciate where for a long time, the entire fashion world resisted someone like a Kim Kardashian because they were like, she has no skills or talent and fashion is about some level of aesthetic or chicness. And for for the fashion world, the Kardashians didn't represent that. On the other hand, I feel like there's a snobbishness to fashion that does need to be broken down in terms of what's seen as beautiful. And that's happening in the casting of a lot of shows and campaigns. And at the same time, you still, I still, I should speak for myself, I still want to see fashion maintain some of its, either it is or it isn't-ness. Does that make sense? Is, is or isn't what? Chic. Well, what does chic mean? You I know, know. I, I, don't, mean, I don't know what chic means, means. but... I don't, it's a difficult one. Fashion's eating itself. There's also, you know, it's, un, it's just totally, it's totally inhumane and unsustainable. Nobody needs that many clothes. Trend doesn't work oh, that, yeah. like that. Cons- yeah, the, the, the whole tre- culture trend, consumerism. You know, for me, for me the, the most killer thing is like the death of trend. It's something I was thinking about for a while and writing about. Like how can something eat itself before it's even existed? Hmm. And that culture... It's, it feels like daylight robbery to young people for me, you know, mm. what, what, all of that stuff. But then there are so many levels. I would say when I was studying fashion, like, come on, let's talk about this. I had one of my best friends. She is also called Lottie and she works at an amazingly huge fashion house. I am not going to say okay. who, but it is like she is instrumental. And we would have these chats around fashion week and she'd say, I'd be like, I don't want to go to fashion party. I hate them. And then someone would be like, oh, come on. And we'd all oh, fine, get there. We stood in the queue and she'd go, None of these people work in fashion. They work in retail and PR. Everyone who's in fashion is exhausted like me. We're going to bed. Yes. And it's like, I think we've really got, it's, it, fashion is a bastardized word that gets really thrown around. It's difficult. Like, Supreme is, t- t- to me, uh, a work of art in terms of trend and marketing and mm-hmm. communication. Hold it back, hold it back, make you want it. When I was in the Supreme shop here in, was it in like June, I giggled my head off. Yeah, because there's a there's a cue for the cue and a number for the number, and I just thought this is humor at a very high level. Someone's having a laugh here, and I respect that. <laughs> it's very funny, and it's it's fascinating. But the casting thing—I mean, how long can we go without seeing people who look like us? 
How long can people resist that fashion is also an industry? And if when there's a market, people want to buy it, as crude as it sounds. Supply to everyone. I just love, you know, when I think about fashion, I can't separate trend. I think about Fenty Beauty. I'm like, yes. I'm yeah. like, oh, what, you were shocked? <laughs> I know, I know. Like, <laughs> none of us who knew what was going on were shocked that finally, once you cater to this demographic that you've systematically ignored, of course, there's going to be appreciation for that product. And they're not even going to begrudge it. This is the bit that, and that's the bit that I think is like, ultimately just like so spiritual and mad that these whole demographics will not even begrudge it. They're just there because they're finally being acknowledged. Yes. Yes. It's quite amazing. Yes. Well, I'm interested to hear how you navigate fashion currently because I know you're currently, you're like a Gucci ambassador, brand ambassador. I, I, I'm kind of, I guess. <laughs> well, you're doing this very cool campaign yeah, with Gucci. Yeah, doing a lot of Gucci stuff. That's it's true. That's, that's huge. True. Um, and I think the new Gucci is very cool now, but we'll come back to that. And then you were an art director for a lot of big yeah. fashion brands. And you strike me as someone who's very big into authenticity and fashion is not known necessarily for authenticity. So I think that just in myself, and in fact, to go back to Lottie, my best mate, really does sound like I'm talking about me, but Lottie Selwood, she would say this thing, she's like, you cannot, this is also interesting, it's, I want to make this really clear, like, Lottie Selwood is talking to me called Lottie Anderson as both two girls who wanted to work in fashion, who did, one is white and one is black, and she was the one who would always say to me, consider your body and consider what that means. Consider authentically what it means when you're in the room. Consider the credentials, consider mm. politically, you know, consider all of it. How do I feel? About, I mean, I'm grateful. I'm surprised and I'm amused, as I think one should be with all fashion. You know, I speak a lot about politics and identity and all these things. And then I think also... There's an, there's an aspect of fashion which is quite simply just fun. That was the thing that gets you into clothes. It's fun to yes, dress up. Yes. It's fun to turn around and say, Brooke, I love your Marrakesh shirt. And I love that we're both wearing similar. You know, it's, yeah. it's fun and it's exciting. And it's, it does feel really wild to have moved from behind the camera to in front of it. Mm. I feel like it's something I actually actively resisted. Mm. But it's a really amazing time at the moment where, you know, there's a group of young women... I'm trying to think of one. So someone I worked with when I worked for launching Stella Sport with Adidas and Stella McCartney was Petra Collins. And something She's we never amazing. spoke about, but now I see, as I see a talented young woman who's worked really hard and also who is as easy in front of the camera as behind and it's not taking anything away from it. Right. Because you know We what, can do both now. You can do both. Yeah. Like what is feminist actually about me like not taking care of myself and... Do you know yes, what I mean? Yes, yes. Ignoring the fact that you have looks or a body. I can just, I can, I'm equally as intelligent yes. as wanting to have fun and enjoy my 20s. Yes, yes. <laughs> like, yeah, no, it's yeah. true. It's true. And it's nice to see now, I think there are a lot of young women today that are showing that you can do both. And that's why I think what you're doing is important by being both behind and in front of the camera. Thanks. I hope, I hope so. I mean, I can be a right difficult drama queen, but... No, I'm just trying to take it away now. I'm going to be yeah, quiet. Yeah, don't, don't, even, don't even shy away from it. Fashion is also guilty of a lot of cultural appropriation, a lot of images that you feel like, oh my God, was there no one in the room? Was there no one in post-production? Was there no, you know, it's like you see the final image and you're like, how did so many people let that happen? And you, having been someone who's been on sets and you've worked with huge brands on their campaigns, when you see an image like that, do you, who? Like which? Which is culturally appropriated. Culturally appropriated, or even like the, you know, the H&M scandal with the boy that had like the coolest monkey in the jungle hoodie, or Vogue has, you know, taken a white model and put her in like full kimono and gave, like, there are so many instances where people feel like, oh, this is so insensitive, did no one speak up? I think this is a great question. I feel like I've seen every single version of it. I've been the token, I have been the person in the room being asked to find one big, one fat, one small, one brown. One. I have been every version of it and from a really young age. And I think actually that is, to be really honest, that is the reason I could not work in fashion mm. the way that I had assumed I was going to. Mm. I worked on a campaign, which I found out later on after we'd cast predominantly athletes and young women of color, that that campaign was not going to run in certain countries. 
I found out that the company had to make a decision at that point to lose out on X million billion retail for, and it really changed. Like there were so, lots of things that trickled me down. There were also, there have been instances where I've been in the room and I've been the person where they're turning around going, so is this okay? <laughs> yes, like Which speak I on behalf is, of all minorities and right now. Something really dreadful happens to me when I'm in that situation also where I completely become blank because, mm. and I wonder if that behavior is, is, a, is, a, is the same as saying I'm not voting in an election, you know? Mm. And it's, re it's really something that I consider in really weighs on my mind. It's, it's, we have to all talk to each other and we have to all try and do the best that we can constantly to be making more space in the room, constantly to be learning, constantly to be being humble. I can't come anywhere and say that I'm an authority on anything. Maybe I'm an authority on Xerox photocopiers and video what, and maybe like, I don't know, Marvin Gaye. But I'm here learning and trying to make more space for girls like my sister, Nancy, you know, I don't, I, I want to see just like a girl. My sister says this great thing. She's a singer. She's in a band. And people will sometimes come at her and say, babe, heaven, like, why, why, you're a soul singer. She's like, what, because I'm black. <laughs> you expect me to be, you expect, she's like, I'm into trip hop. I'm into Led Zeppelin. Yeah. I'm into, there's so many different ways of being a black person. Yes. A gay person. Yes. Uh, you know, uh, a pilot. Yes. But it's every little bit helps. It's tiring though. It is tiring because you feel like I just want to be Lottie and not be the minority representation in the room. But then it's also, you have to acknowledge that you bear that responsibility because if you don't acknowledge it, then in some, in some way you're less grateful for the people that came before you and gave you that opportunity. Mm -hmm. It's a very delicate balance. Completely. And... Realizing, I think, more and more, particularly as I've become older, as being this young woman who has functioned through the world without a mother, without a, a mother of color, without all of that background, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that context in the home always reminding you of what you've got behind you. It's really something that I feel like I've come into in my 20s where I was given space to maybe talk, mm -hmm. share my work, seeing who turned up to see me do that and seeing who I then put in it. There are things, you know, sometimes I was like, God, it's all, it's just happening. Like, it's, it's kind of in you. Mm. I think you've got to be really, really out of touch not to respect that lineage, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I think you're absolutely right. I think you're absolutely right. We talked with the Spice Girls, but... Also, when you were growing up, who, who did you look up to? Like, who did you think, oh, God, she's so fabulous. I want to be like that. Really? Pop stars. Pop stars. Which pop stars? Pop stars. I liked pop stars who were quite left field pop stars. I liked uh, PJ Harvey. Okay. She uh, is a British rock star, <laughs> female rock star. I liked Bjork. I liked women I who Bjork. were really re on their own tip and then I liked women I mean of course like Aretha Franklin mm -hmm. or Brandy or you know these like but the big one you know I always forget to mention is Khalees yeah Khalees she was yes she's a punk she's a black punk yes how many girls did I see like that none just her <laughs> yeah with green hair doing whatever she wanted Being to do everything that you're told as a young black girl you can't be absolutely I hate you so much right now Yeah, come just, again? She just screamed on that record, right? Like it was unlike it's anything huge. else in black music. Yeah, it's huge. But really, I think it was definitely, definitely musicians. Later, it became artists. Okay. But immediately, I think I've always been drawn to yeah musicians because there's so much in the whole communication of that sector. You, you, you've got you've got moving image. You've got flat print. You've got when I say flat print, I mean like imagery. Mm -hmm your pack shots, you've got the sound, you've got the interview, you've got turning up on the red carpet, the whole thing kind of, there's, there's so many parts of that that then you've got kind of the role model aspect where you need to be kind of gracious. Yes. And 
like you're saying, remember who's turning up. We've been talking a lot about beauty conceptually. I want to get into you and your approach to beauty. What are the beauty treatments or things that you do or products that you use that you're just obsessed with? Mm. So, you know what I had the day before I came here was a cryo treatment. Oh, when you go in the freezing cold tank and like your brain shuts off because your body's so cold, but it's like therapy. So it goes into like fight or flight. Okay. So it's, can you just describe it from the beginning step by step? Cause I'm lost. Okay. So I was uh, invited to have something called cryotherapy or cryo treatment. And essentially what it is... And when you say you were invited, like um, a brand invited you? I was invited, yeah. I met some lovely uh, some lovely people from 111 Cryo. And they have, I think, the only cryo clinic, it's called, in London. And it's at Harvey Nichols. And what happens is you go and you fill out a little questionnaire and you take your clothes off and you put on uh, some little booties and some ear warmers. So you have to keep all your extremities very warm. And the baseline is you get into a human freezer. <laughs> right, and it's like freezing. freezing. Okay, I don't know how we're going to do this because I'm British. I was in minus 89 degrees. Celsius. Yeah. Okay. So that's like as cold as the moon or something. It's really, freezing, yes. You know, when there was a heat wave here last week, it's like that, but the other way around yes. in minus. Yeah. <laughs> you guys. Like the Arctic tundra. Yeah. Colder freezing. I got in there and I thought it was funny. So I started, Is it like a tank? Like what is it? Are you, you standing? Stand, you stand in it almost like if you were going to get into like a tanning booth and they close the door, they put a song on and you have a little face mask on and you watch the time going through and they, they measure essentially your body's heat. And what it does is your body goes into fight or flight. So everything kind of gets tighter, your skin, everything becomes tighter and colder. And it lowers all your body temperature down, which actually slows everything down Mm. after a while. At first, you feel quite affronted. And then for the rest of the day, I just felt full of endorphins. Yeah. Completely calm. How long were you in there for? Three minutes. The longest three minutes of your life, I'm sure. The longest three minutes of my (laughs) life. They asked me, what do you want to listen to? I'm not going to divulge what I wanted to listen to. It's too embarrassing. Just tell me, come on. (laughs) I think it was Ariana Grande. It was really not... Sweetener's a okay yeah, album. It was, it was so corny and I, I loved it. Well, but and then so that's the last beauty treatment I had. Okay. But in terms of products, I really love I've always really loved oils. Ooh, I'm um, an oil girl. What yeah, oils do you like? I used to really love all the Ren oils, the like they did this like great rose body oil that I used to use constantly, literally cover myself in it. I also used to make a lot of my own homemade oils. I would kind of buy almond oil I do or that too. something, and then I'd go to Neil's yard and I'd get, they do like a really great woman's balance essential oil, and I would mix that in. Oh my gosh. Okay, before you leave, I'm going to, I make all these essential oil rollers. I'm going to give you one. Oh my God, I would, I would love that. This one's really good. It has ginger oil. It's like a very spicy, you'll yeah. like it. Yeah, I think the other thing about beauty that I think is really important to think about is what all of these different oils mean. So like peppermint does something and then chamomile will do something. And really when you start to get into it, it's like an apothecary. Oh, it's incredible. Um, And you can really like cure different things. But products, I mean, I love Aesop. Uh, Aesop does an incredible job. They do really, you know what I got into recently? Toners. Now this is something that is so totally random. I never thought I would really get into skincare, but yeah, the sheet peel masks, which Aesop don't do. I like the like fun cheap ones too, actually, okay. which have like panda faces. Yeah, <laughs> all the K beauty. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Absolutely love that. And then I also like hair things. Okay. I love like hair, like hair masks particularly. Do you make um, your own or do you buy them? I don't know how to make my own. Do oh, you know really? how to make your own? Oh my own? God, yes. Yes, I do yogurt hair masks, honey hair masks, shea butter hair masks. My little sister knows all about those. Because she, so, she has like kinkier, curlier hair, so she like has to, she's like yeah. on her own. <laughs> she's really, she, she, she has her best friend Kesua and they spend so much time discussing Aww. all of the latest trends. Do you know who actually helped me along though with beauty massively? My best friend, um, Jonathan. Really? He taught me how to wash my face correctly at 20... <laughs> 20, 25 years old. Wait, what, what weren't you doing? I wasn't. You weren't washing your face at night? Oh my God, Lottie. I think I just kind of, it's something I'm devastatingly, I'm not proud of. <laughs> but he just sat me down and he went, honey, 
we got to sort this out. <laughs> and he made me a whole step program okay. and we went and bought proper moisturizer. Okay. And he explained to me the difference between a cleanser and an exfoliator. Okay. Do you know what I love about beauty particularly? It's quite simply the routine. The ritual, right? It's really calming. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's funny because that never is really described when they say, talk about your beauty regimen. It's just the systematic approach to like love and care mm-hmm, to your face mm-hmm. and body and how that just make how that makes you feel. Yes. And it's interesting for me to see it be commercialized to the degree that it is because I'm someone like I've been and granted I've been reading a lot about it and I'm all about natural beauty but a facial massage is this very simple thing that you can do with your fingers and now they're selling jade rollers for a hundred dollars <laughs> this is popular in, in London huge right? and honestly jade rollers lovely I'm not even against jade rollers but it's just interesting how every single step of a natural <laughs> so funny. sustainable approach to beauty has been commodified right so it's like don't just buy pure cold-pressed argan oil, get the branded argan oil from Josie Moran. You know, it's... I think this is interesting because it's even when you ask me to, like, name all my products, before anything, I prefer the ones I made myself. Maybe it comes from a bit customizing clothes. Yeah, it's, I'm it's not, the DIY punk thing. Yeah, I'm kind of not scared of mixing it up and trying things out, you know. I have this amazing... Oh, the best beauty thing I have right now. Right, now this is a total change of subject. It's a Chanel compact. Oh, wait... Okay Chanel, the palette. Beauty, okay, Chanel Beauty is very new on my radar. I appreciate they've, they're great with diversity. So I'm like, okay, Chanel, I don't have to be mad at you. But th- so is this the powder compact? Okay, so it's a, no, it's a, it's a cream palette. It's called the Essential Palette. Okay. It is absolutely the best piece of makeup I've ever had. Really? You open it up and it has a concealer, a highlighter, and a, a red. Now this oh. red made me think of for years, I have had lipsticks in my handbag and I felt people just look at me funny because I'll kind of be like, oh, quick bit on there, oh, quick bit on there. Oh, you put just, lipstick on your... I just put your, it any, yeah. anywhere. Like I, I use, I, had a, I was really lucky to meet a makeup artist called Kay Montano and she did my makeup once and I watched her and I said, but you're like a painter. Mm. She said, I said, I'm noticing you just going, putting things everywhere that you're yeah. not. Now Kay did those covers of ID that are the one with Kate Moss, the Mara Sorrenti, or like Mara Tassi, okay. like the, yeah. the most yeah. iconic makeup covers. And she went, don't be scared of these products just because they say this or that or the other. Yeah, use them how you... You use them how you want. And I think that this sh- little Chanel compact really cemented that for me. <laughs> Literally when I'm on the tube, like whacking highlighter on like in yeah. strange places. Yeah. yeah, it's all about adding light or shadow or yeah, color like to photography. your face. Yes, it's a lot like photography. And artists, like I always say, Pat McGrath, is an artist. She's not a makeup artist. Like, you can't even pigeonhole her into that one category. And, like, yeah. Also to do with, like, culture. Like, what bits do you accentuate? What, you know? Yes. It's really fascinating. And are there any things that you're seeing in beauty that you don't appreciate and you wish would just end? I really don't like the trend in what I would call the 21st century corset. (laughs) The waist trainers. Mm. Yeah. I understand them. I understand all of these things. I I also don't particularly appreciate fillers and Botox and all these things. Again, I understand. Mm-hmm. I think it's you, really important to talk you're about saying that from the from the privilege of being a young woman. Right. So here we go. Now I, I realize I'm saying all these things from the privilege of being a young woman. The thing that I'm most concerned with are the young women doing it. Mm, right. I'm not talking about being like my friends who are getting their tits done or their waist pulled in after they've had kids, gun fingers, I'm behind you. Yeah. My little f- sister's friends who are 21 and addicted to Facetune and therefore also getting fillers in their lips, that's the thing that I find really complicated. Beauty and all these things, they're all here to support us like ballet dancers, give us the confidence to be the best version of ourselves. But I wonder where the line is anymore with, you know, I have this thing now and I'm not very old, but I look back at myself at 21 and I'm like, you were gorgeous. Oh, right, right. Like your inability to see at the time how beautiful and vibrant and perfect you were. And you think back to like when I was 21, how you were beating yourself up over precisely the silliest thing. And yeah. also like maybe if I wasn't the girl, I don't know. Maybe if I'd had access to that and fillers were 70 pounds and I was weighing up a pair of high heels from Topshop or the dimple in my chin, 
if it was a bad day of the week, would I just have filled it up? Mm. But it, so, so, so maybe it's, it's, it's quite simply just a concern for the youth mm-hmm. and just maybe being a little bit less vain, just being a little bit laissez-faire, a little bit, but it's... Do you think with I'm the way so, that culture is going that we will become less vain? No. Yeah. No, not at all. Not at all. I have this theory that the whole concept of natural beauty will become totally overrated because it won't matter what you're born with. It will matter how you create yourself to look and to be. So this is interesting. Natural beauty. So have you seen Dazed and Confused magazine have launched a new beauty magazine this week? It is officially launched on the 26th of September. What's it called? Dazed Beauty. Okay, I'm going to check it out. Right. Now... This is going to be huge. I'm also don't work for them. I'm not plugging them right now. Okay. You but, are, though, named on a lot of their lists of like <laughs> coolest people in London, most exciting emerging creatives. <laughs> so they love you. They like you. They're behind me. But the thing that's so fascinating to continue on what you have predicted is that's what they're doing. Their Days Beauty have launched this week. Literally, it's got like, like four blocks on an Instagram feed right now. Mm-hmm. It's so new. Pretty much every bit of communication that they've shown is all, yeah, constructed beauty or like enhanced or Mm -hmm. like anime or like Slick Woods is like the cover star and she's been reanimated by a digital artist. Mm. And it's exactly what you're saying. It's like the natural look and Kay would say like, the natural look's the hardest one to get actually, darling. It's way easier to just whack a bunch of eye makeup on you. Absolutely. So maybe, yeah, we are moving, I think we're definitely moving into exactly what you predicted. Going back to this Bobby Brown book that you mentioned, I think growing up, I always appreciated this. It's very American, right? The carefree, clean, American smiley girl. And maybe she's got a bit of purple glitter on her, you know, eyelid, but that's just a little bit of flair. But it's still her skin, her face, her freckles. And I think that is slowly going away into can you make yourself an image a palatable image. Or even, not even palatable. It's almost like, I feel like, is it eye-catching? Does it make me want to stop scrolling and look at you, right? It's not even about prettiness anymore. Like, do you, are you familiar with the um, Claremont twins? No. Have they made their way to the to Europe? Not yet. There are these two black women that are identical twins, and they both have peroxide blonde hair. They were in the latest Kanye campaign. Yes. And they're just a spectacle, right? Like you see them and you can't, and you can't unsee them once you see them. And they've, they've toyed with their image and the fact that they're twins to a degree that's caught everyone's attention. But it's all aesthetic. It's all a look. You don't, I've never heard them speak really. It's not even about who they are. It's just what they look like. And now I feel like it's not even, are you beautiful? It's like, are people stopping what they're doing to look at you? I think you've just answered the question. Yeah. It's, it is a case of... But, I can't, I, it makes me really uncomfortable because, you know, I feel like as women, we have worked really, really, really hard to kind of not be considered just simply for the way that we look. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I battle with constantly on social media where I almost, I'll kind of put jokes up sometimes. So I recently cut my curly hair into a mullet. I put a picture up of me with the curly hair and the mullet and I said, newsflash, I've cut my hair into a curly mullet. I'm also showing some work at the Tate next week. I wonder which will get more likes. Yeah. I mean... I really think it's important that we discuss these things mm-hmm. and we discuss them with humor and space so it doesn't become, you know, like a, this is binary, this is good, this is bad. Yes, yes. Because it just... It's all nuanced. Is, and- it's nuanced, it's part of the culture. And maybe we've always had these people, you know, maybe we've, we live in the society, the spectacle, maybe we've always, they were just different. Maybe mm-hmm. it was Marie Antoinette. Mm-hmm. Now it's twins with peroxide hair and a Kanye thing. I just think that the people who nominate themselves to be part of these cultures and uh, understand, you know, there's no going back. It's slightly like, do you remember reality TV in the late 90s? It was like, you could never go back once you're on Jersey Shore. You can never go back once you're on Big Brother. Yeah. So just be wary. Mm -hmm. And also I think just maybe people just need to slow down a little bit. Just slow down a little bit. Like, I think it's taken me a really long time to be okay with the way I look. Mm. And every day it's a bit different. What were you uncomfortable about? Okay, right. Let's do the list. Number one, my hair. I was actually like, I would say I'm a number one mega dork. Like, I had braces and glasses. And uh, was really like, I love Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And like, like, 
I'm kind of extra and odd. It's interesting that so much of your identity now is like as this cool girl, you know, one of the coolest girls in London, right? That's like a, a term used a lot in association with you. And you're saying like, I felt like a huge nerd growing up. That's surprising I to me. I am a huge nerd. I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a huge, massive nerd. And it, it, it's something that shocks people all the time. This like thing of being like cool and reserved and removed. I'm not her. I'm excited. I'm happy to be mm. at the party when I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm visibly hyped. There's nothing, it's not contrived. Mm -hmm. And I think essentially what happened that was strange was that maybe I kind of like grew into being some kind of physically acceptable is what I would say. Or like I grew boobs. Yeah. Or So I don't know. You passed your awkward stage. Yeah. And my hair, I just hated it. I, that it was curly? I hated that it was curly, that it was kinky. And I, because I, I never had anyone ever saying, I would, all, all I would, all, the thing I found interesting was everyone would always be like, stop straightening your hair. No one ever said, you're straightening your hair because the girl on the Pantene, that's what yes, we call it, Pantene yes. advert, has blow-dried hair. Right. I learned how to sew because jeans didn't fit me. Oh, jeans still don't fit me. Right? But, yeah. My thighs were too small for the size of my bum, for the length of my leg. So I learned how to adjust jeans yeah. because I had a figure that wasn't Western. Yes. You know, all of these, you're co constantly trying to find ways to fit in. And it's really fascinating because they always say it, don't they? But it's like the moment I cut my hair into that curly mullet and was just like... Mm. Yourself. Everyone's like, oh, I like that. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh. And it's, it's wild. Yeah. It's like the oldest trick in the book. Just be you. Yes. And, and the sooner that you can realize that that's going to be your best self, the better. But it first, unfortunately takes so much of us, so many of us a long time. It's ease. People always used to ask me, like, what do you remember about your mother? And I always say ease. She was very much at ease with things. And I think that maybe that comes with like having some kind of like illness or something that kind of like removes you from being totally into your, you know, a total ego, basically. If you lose all your hair, and but you're still really into clothes and you like yourself, there has to be some kind of ease there where you're going with a narrative and you're like, okay, I'm yes. just going to work yes. with She turned up one morning with this shaved head. She looked like Eve. She had this shaved head this next morning. She was wearing like a NARS plum red lip. She had a NARS silver uh, fingernails. Oh, and she amazing. had these slip-on Chloe, like I think they were like Chloe shoes. And I just thought, rare. I was like, that woman is so cool. Yes. And that's elegance too, right? Yeah. You know, you work with what nature gave you mm -hmm. or gives you. Mm -hmm. Instead of trying to fight against it. Yes. Yes. Mm. There's something I want to talk to you about because when I read about your work around throwing parties and building community offline, it mm. really resonated with me. And I think about why I started this podcast and why I'm interested in having conversations with women in real life, mm. right? And building community from hearing each other's stories. I've realized that in this digital age, so few people connect in real life. And I'm wondering what advice or guidance you have for people, even if they don't have a party to throw, even if they don't have a podcast, how do you think people can go about creating more community in their life and, and reaching out to people and having real conversations? Everything starts with you and at home. Mm -hmm. So you have to cultivate in you an ability to, you know, smile, reach out, be nice to the little guy. Mm -hmm. learn your corner shop person's name, mm. start a rapport, mm. begin to learn how to have real human relationships, real human connection. I mean, also understand that everybody does the best that they possibly can at that time. That's been a real lesson for me in the last year. Mm. Say more about that. Having been a bit ill. Well, you know, everyone, everyone is, doing, is doing the best. Like, you know, we all expect so much. You expect so much from that picture that gets all the likes. But like, really... Really, all you need sometimes is just one person to turn around and say, are you okay? Mm. And I think there's a humanity in all of us that is beginning, we're beginning to lose sight of. Kindness is not weakness. Yes. Vulnerability is not weakness, you know. Every time I did Maxilla, I would name the party something else. So it was a, people would never expect the same thing. It might be Maxilla does the family portrait. We would stop the party at midnight, take a picture. It might be Maxilla does a TV show. That time we had a full film crew turn up. What happened to the film? I have no idea. It will probably come out. I mean, who knows? 
But, you know, it was all, all these different things. But, like, really what I was trying to do is mix up groups of people, genres, age groups, nationalities, class, colour. And that's, and that's not to say that I managed it every time. I really didn't. But that intention was there. Yes. And when I felt that intention correctly when I was doing it, I think we did a pretty good job as a group. Yes. But really, I think there's like a, some kind of naivety also that's helpful. Just feeling like you can do it, even if you've never done it before, and not being afraid. Oh no, you're, I'm always quite. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I, I think it's an absolute lie. Like I'm incredibly fallible, scared by many things, but I think also I want to try and operate from a place of love all the time. It's quite a lot when you're like got these security guys, and they're just like, "Oh, what are you doing here?" And you're like, "This is my party. There's going to be a lot of people. This is my party. There's going to be a lot of people." Listen to me. Yes, I'm the boss. I'm, but, but, yeah, but also, like, we can have fun doing it. That's the other thing. I think it's, like, things mm-hmm. can just be fun. Yes. Like, hey, when there's going to be a rush on the door, we're all in cahoots, right? It's fine. We're going to yes. have a great time yes. doing this. And I think also, you know, eye contact and time. I'm interested by people. Yes. That natural curiosity is something that you have to cultivate, right? You have to be, I think, a little bit interested. And the less like you they are, the more interested you should be. Definitely, definitely, definitely. I think we live in a really interesting time that people speak about echo chambers really a lot these days. And I think what really needs to be spoken about, which is something that I considered with echo chambers and all of that is, it's quite scary actually to go out on a limb and talk to somebody who immediately can't stand you or what you're about. And what that means to do that alone you know, I, I think a lot also about like people who like function in groups and people who function individually. Oddly, having come from like community building, I feel like I do navigate the world pretty, very individually. Like I'll like go to things by myself. I think you have to just kind of like maybe be okay-ish with yourself mm. uh, from, from the get-go because only then can you like reach out and actually be enough for anyone else. Yeah. But again, like I have to work, you know, we all have to work really hard at that. Yes, it's something you have to force, not force yourself to do, but yes, put in work to do. Yeah, definitely. And it, But I mean, also, we just need more parties. Yeah. We need to celebrate. Yes. We need, like, there's so much down in the dump. <laughs> I think it's such a, like, it's such, like, politically, like, amazing thing when I see, when I, it's like when I see, like, young people walking down the street and, and they're all dressed, well, young people, I'm one too, and we're all dressed and we're all out. It's like, it lifts everyone else up, brings a smile to everybody else yes. too. The people at Maxella, when we do the parties... They would be so happy because they'd say, Lottie, we love the crowd that you bring because they're just so happy to be there. Yeah. No more fights. Not, they're just celebrating. Yes. Yes. That is beautiful. And I think about, you know, we had happened to have met before years and years ago, but we just kind of ran into each other again in Astoria at a random seafood restaurant. And I was like, okay, we need to have this conversation before you leave to go back to London. And now here we are talking, but it is taking that extra, you know, you were kind enough to be like, here's my number, here are my details. Like, let's do it. Let's get it done. Like in between all the stuff I have to do, let's have this conversation. And then also being willing and open to ask someone. Because a lot of people, I'm surprised by how many people will be like, oh, it took me so long to even reach out to you, Brooke, to ask you. And I'm like, me? Like what? Well, what was... I'm not waiting ever again. I feel like we spend so much time, particularly as like young women of color and young women and just generally, we all wait for this perfect moment to just say, hey, can I have some of the calamari? <laughs> also, we met a really long time ago. It's fine. Like There is this culture now, I think, which is purely online and makes it worse of actually we're a little bit less connected because maybe like we're scared or, or starstruck or not that I'm famous or anything but like you admire that and you just think oh, I couldn't possibly they might not but yes it's the internet creates this like a huge performative space but we're all doing the same damn thing you know we just like want to sit and like have a chat and yeah. like I'm interested in what you do it's so useful also like I figure out a lot of my working out verbally mm. these things they everyone kind of wins when you get together absolutely you start to hear the different perspectives. Yes. Okay. I can't. We've been talking for well over an hour. It's insane. Oh, wow. It's really, it's really gone by, right? Oh my god, that's insane. I know. Okay, so I'm getting to my last question, and this okay. is a question I ask all of my guests. But when do you feel most beautiful? 
When I've come out of the sea. Mm. I'm not religious, but I really believe in the healing properties of water. Whenever I've been through anything scary, I will try as hard as I can to find natural water. So not swimming pools, but ponds or rivers or the sea. That's when I feel most beautiful. It's like being born again. It's literally like you kind of, you go in, you come up and you breathe. Everything is zero balanced. We're 90% water. That's when I feel most beautiful. Wow. That's amazing. That's amazing. I love that answer. It's the first time I've had this answer on the show. So that's, that's really incredible. And I can definitely relate to that. It's an amazing feeling. But this was Cheers, really amazing. Bro. Thank you so much for making time. Thank you for having me. Yes. You would just want to say, babe, I love you. Love you. Don't no, lying. 